Well, good morning. We are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it has been a unique journey that we've been uh, traveling down the road in, in, in Corinth or the book of Corinthians in the church in Corinth, looking at them particularly. Uh, we've, ta- we've discussed things like singleness already. We've, we've discussed things like sex, sexuality. We've discussed marriage. Today, big subject, big theme is divorce and remarriage. Now, I'll say this on the front end. Uh, this is a complex issue. Uh, this is a very, very, very complex issue. Uh, just like many in our day um, who have questions about divorce and remarriage, uh, those in Corinth had many questions pertaining to, to this subject as well. So Paul's writing to them. He's answering their questions, uh, and he's going to uh, address them. And so in doing so today, I'm gonna, we're going to look at his answers to some of their questions, but also we're gonna, I'm going to anticipate some of the questions uh, that, that you may have. Now, I have heard many questions. There are many questions that I, we've walked with people through um, regarding divorce and remarriage, uh, and it's so much so that as the elders and I, as we're meeting this week and we were talking about just the, the questions we've seen, the, the issues we've walked with people through, uh, we've just understood that this is so complex, and, uh, and, and we would need a flow chart to like really you know, dive into every single possible you know, detail, and that's not what we're here. That's not, I'm not going to do that today. What I want to do is I'm going to lay out the, the biblical principles, and then you, you being the, the, the God-fearing man or woman you are, using the principles of the Scripture, what is clear in the Scripture, to then uh, make decisions uh, that guide and rule your life. That is, the, that is what we want to do. And so uh, I will say that that may mean that you have questions that arise, and you're like, man, I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't know the answer to this because we live in a progressively more complex day uh, in our world as far as divorce and remarriage. And so there are a lot more questions. There are examples that, are, that, that I've seen now in, in couples uh, – uh, that, that were not there 10 years ago, uh, that, that questions uh, in complexity. And so I say that to no, go, I will not in no way uh, answer all possible a- uh, questions. I, I, I've tried to anticipate that, and then I was like, you know what, we don't have a six-hour sermon. Um, we could, but, you know, it would be me left and your questions not being answered. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to lay out biblical principles according to God's Word. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't know one, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it, read it. Um, this is God's word. It really is. The Bible is. And so what we do is we go to God's word and then we uh, submit ourselves to what he says. God has spoken. He's spoken to us uh, because he loves us. He's spoken to us because he cares for us. He, he's spoken to us because he wants to fix what we broke. We just celebrated last week, right, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a lot to, to celebrate there. There's also a lot to remember. Uh, don't divorce Easter Sunday, the resurrection. Uh, speaking of divorce, don't divorce that from your reality. That Jesus is alive. He's ruling and reigning. And if you are in Christ, he's died for your past present, and future sin. And so we come to this subject together today uh, under the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so we have to see that. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at, we'll ask questions as if it's a yes or no, can I, can I not type of questions. That's all we want to know. And then if we find ourselves guilty, we just feel shame. Like, well, I, God said no, and I, said, and I did yes, so what do I do now? I need you to see God's mercy and grace covers your uh, sins of commission, meaning sins that you did willfully, and your sins of omission, the, the ones that you should have done but you left undone. The mercy and grace of Jesus do cover that. So I want to start there, and then I want us to, to re- be reminded of what marriage is. Number one, it's God's idea. So that's the first thing we want to look at. Marriage is God's idea. So we're going to talk about divorce and remarriage. We need to first 
put ourselves back into uh, the framework of what is marriage or, or the fact that marriage is God's idea. This isn't an idea that mankind generated on their own. This isn't something that we thought, you know, oh, that sounds like a great idea. This will help me, you know, in, in, in for certain reasons, tax reasons. I don't know. Like, no, marriage is God's idea, and this is why. He says this in Genesis 2.24. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. He says that preceding this, he says it's not good for man to be alone. We were made for relationships. We were made for a a, a unity with a a spouse. And so it's not good for man to be alone. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and he should be joined, made one, and hold fast to his wife. And they shall go from being two and now they're one. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 19, 6. He says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. He's going back. Jesus in the New Testament is going all the way back to the very beginning, the book of beginnings in Genesis, in quoting and in, in, in applying the same principle that, that God, not just the principle, this reality that God, when he put marriage together, he meant it to be uh, one man, one woman, one lifetime, oneness. That's what it is, one flesh. What do you, this, this term, one flesh, this unity here is the same word that Jesus will use later when he's describing that the fact that he and the Father are one. So this unity in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are so one. We believe in, we worship one God. They are three persons in one God. I'm not going to get into the complexity of the Trinity, but I want you to know we worship one God. There's a unity between Jesus, the Son, and God, the, and the Father. God, the Son, and God, the Father. There's unity there. And Jesus is saying that in the same way, that, that, that um, the father and son are one, so a husband and wife shall be one. There's that type of unity. Are there two persons? Absolutely. But is there one marriage? Yes. Is there one, is there one flesh? Yes. That is how we should see marriages. It, our marriages are so united uh, uh, between one man, one woman, that they are now one flesh. That is God's design. That is God's design. And he says this, Jesus continues, says, whatever man, God has joined together, let not man separate. See, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will never be separated. There's, there's a unity there. This picture of marriage, uh, Paul will later talk about in Ephesians. He says this, is, this, this picture of marriage is a, is a mystery, and he tells us what the mystery is. It's not, so some people are just like, marriage is a mystery. Well, he defines that. He explains it. Marriage is a mystery, and that mystery being that it's a picture of Christ and his church. So there's this unity between the Godhead that is supposed to uh, be reflected and resembled and, and be realized and held on to between a, a husband and a wife, that they are one flesh. They're unified. And just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will never be separated, what God has joined together in marriage may not man separate it. That's what he's saying. This is why when you, you get married, uh, there's witnesses. You're, you're, and God is the chief witness. Christian marriage is that one man, one woman come together in the, in the presence of, of witnesses, but also in the presence of God, and they covenant together in marriage. They become one. Now, here's the reality. Sin is real, and sin has affected and, uh, infected and affected all of us in here. And we live in a world today where the majority of marriages are uh, broken, we live in a world where, where the, the, the majority of children will grow up in a single-parent home. 
This is not the norm. This is not how God designed it, but this is the reality we find ourselves in. So it, it's really, it's, the reality is that everyone in here has likely been affected by not only their own sin, but the sin that is, that is broken marriages. And, and maybe your parents are still together, or maybe you're still together, but you can say, if you are married, like, hey, sin's still affecting my marriage. Marriage is hard. See, 100% of marriages are between two sinners. 100% of them. Two sinners. It's so, the, the one flesh, you know, you, know you, you, you start wanting to fight flesh. You know, that, that it becomes real. Like, marriage is hard. It is difficult. And so sin does affect us. And so sadly, we find ourselves in, in oftentimes, very difficult situations. You know of people who are in very unfortunate, difficult situations. All marriage, though affected by sin, uh, 100% of them are affected by sin. Not all issues in marriage should result in divorce. So that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at what issues... Should one or could one, or if those are even words that we can use, when Jesus says, let no one separate, are there any caveats? Are, is there anything else he would say on that? He does. We will get there. But that's, you need to see when God designed marriage, he meant one man, one woman, one lifetime. One. Period. End of sentence. And I get it. That may indict everyone. Might, may indict a lot of people. May, it may, that, so what do we do with that? That's where we'll go. So first thing we'll look at is separation and reconciliation. So not necessarily divorce yet, but separation. Couples are separated. What what is the Bible to say about that? Chapter 7, verse 10 through 11. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, or or I, not I, but the Lord. Simply what he's saying is, uh, this is what the Lord has said on this issue, right? Uh, A wife should not separate from her husband. Jesus already said that. We already talked about that, right? We have, we have already, we had just quoted that in Matthew 19. We should not separate. We should not divorce. Verse 11, but if she does, if she does separate, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So the big idea here is, is Paul is reiterating this, the, God's design for marriage in the context of this church. It's important for us to remember that this church was uh, in Corinth. Corinth was a, a wildly um, non-Christian pagan world. We've already talked about the sexual deviance that was going on in the church, much less the culture. Uh, many of them, well, all of them were once not Christians. They all were adult converts. Many of them were adult converts, and they had, uh, they, they, they had maybe wives or multiple wives or, or situations or, uh, where they just had a, a lot of baggage, a lot of sin, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on in their life. And so when Paul's writing to this, he, he is going to address their questions and maybe their circumstances, but he's, he's, not, he's not starting with, he's not starting with, well, here's where you find yourself. Let's, let's accommodate from where you are at now and not tell you how, what the ideal is. He's telling them how God designed it. He's reminding them of what God designed. And he designed that a man and a woman should not separate. They should not divorce. That's what he's saying. He's, he's repeating what Jesus has already said, which God intended in the beginning in Genesis. So Paul does understand, though, that sin has, has affected. That's why when they separate, he's saying that there's going to be, you're separated. And so one of you is going to be thinking, or maybe both of you, we're, now that we're separated, might as well get divorced. Might as well just, just it, we're already sleeping in two different beds. We're already, you know, he's already staying at his friend's house. 
She's already staying over at her mother's house, her father's house. She's, she's already, we've, we've seen it before. We saw mom, dad, grandpa, we've seen divorce. All we know actually is divorce. Some of you, that's your story. You don't know, you haven't seen personally uh, at a deep and intimate level a relationship that has made it to the end. You just, you just, you're more familiar with divorce than you are lifelong marriage. That was them too. I need you to see that. And so when something happens in the marriage and, and there's separation, one, he's saying you shouldn't, right? He says, I'm telling you, don't separate. Like you shouldn't separate. But if you do, if you do or you've already done it, you know, he, he, they may be getting the letter going, man, we've already separated. What do we do? He said, well, if you did, don't divorce now. If you've already separated or you've already made distance, don't divorce. That's what he's saying. He's, that's where he's going to start. And he's, and he's going to speak to, primarily, he's speaking to non-biblical grounds for divorce. Uh, he's saying, well, he, he's going to talk about biblical grounds for divorce later, but I want you to see if, if you find yourself in a situation where you're separated, you're not talking, you're in two, two different rooms, two different homes, you just, you just feel like you're living two different lives, and you're a Christian, don't divorce. That's what he's saying. Don't divorce. If you, can, if you are married and you're fighting right now and you are still living in the same house and you are safe, Stay in the house. Husbands, don't leave. Wife, don't leave. The only, only reason why a, a, a couple should ever separate, in my opinion, is that if there's safety, and then you call the police. Like if there's physical safety harm, that's if it's just, man, we, we disagree on some stuff. Uh, we're fighting all the time. You're Christians. If you're Christians, then you have the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have a church community to help you walk through this with you. Do not separate. Reconcile. That's what he's saying. His, the point is that you should separate. If you're going to separate, separate for some time. Maybe you, maybe you do. Maybe you did separate. Do, are you going to separate long enough to where you can uh, think clearly, get some godly advice, pray, seek the Lord, and then with the goal of reconciliation? That's what he's saying. And then, but, however, if you separate or divorce, he says, for non-biblical grounds, don't remarry. Don't remarry. If Jesus wasn't enough, if it wasn't enough to follow his word, will, and ways to not leave the marriage, then you, you're not a candidate to remarry. You don't have the maturity to do that. You didn't have the maturity to deal with and walk with Jesus in the context of your marriage. What business do you have in going and getting married again? That is what he is saying. And you're like, well, what if I already, I, I, this is where it gets complex. So every situation and circumstance may be different. That may have been why you started where you started, and now you're 10 years later, and you now have a lot of regret, or now you, you have remarried. Those are circumstances that we can talk through over time. If you are currently remarried, and you find yourself, I mean, I didn't remarry for, the, for biblical reasons. He's still saying, don't separate. This isn't like you get to atone for your sin type stuff. Jesus has already bled and died for your sin. You, know, you, don't, you don't fix your problem. Jesus fixes your problem. I'll say this too. Oh, since we have such a young congregation, years one to three are pretty, uh, and maybe even five, are pretty hard on a marriage. The most conversations I have with uh, individuals thinking about divorce happen between years one and three, typically. So if you're in years one to three and you're like, it's hard, here's the, don't separate. You need help. Uh, and we want to help you. We want to walk with you. Additionally, if you find yourself, man, in a, in a situation where it's just, you're just like, I, I, this is so hard. I need you to understand. It is. It is. 
It is so hard. But oftentimes, we can't see what God has in the future for us, so we bail out now. I've seen marriages who are in years one to three looking awful, looking like one spouse was going to kill the other, and now they're happily married. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. And it takes this reality that you have to understand that you're in a covenant, not a contract. That's what's next. Covenant, not a contract. The reason why you're not simply filing for divorce whenever things get hard, the reason why you're seeking to, to, to stay one with your spouse, pray, get the help you need, is because you are in a blood-bought covenant. You're in a covenant. A covenant, see, is, is bound for life. That's what a covenant means. A covenant means you are bound for life. A covenant also means that I will be faithful even if the other party is faithless. That's what a covenant is. You're like, well, what if they, they're not faithful? You will be. Like, well, what if I'm not? Well, then they better be. Well, what happens in divorce? Both tend to be unfaithful to their covenant. Both are going, you know what? We're not going to hold to this. What we've done before God and man, we've, we now, we're going to recant it. We're going to turn it back on it. We are going to absolve it. We are going to look at one another as if they are dead. That is what we're doing. It's important for us to understand this covenant versus contract. Because see, a contract is something you agree upon to a set terms that if the other party breaks, the contract is void. And once it's void, like, hey, you're free to get out. Like, they've broken their contract. Uh, we're out. See, See, Jesus' covenant with you, and this is what you must understand, that Jesus' covenant with you is that he is faithful even when you are faithless. Have you ever broken your, your covenant with Jesus? We have one in the room. We got a hand in the back. Amen. Awesome. I think some of you said yes and amen in your heart. We'll take that too. Yes. All of us, if you've sinned, you violated. Like if you worshiped anything other than Jesus at one point in your life, you violated. And that's all of us all of us guilty. We have violated our, our, our covenant with God in that we have sought and loved and desired things that are uh, different than him, his word, will, and ways, and therefore we are all guilty. Though we were faithless, he will remain faithful. That is covenant, and that is the covenant Jesus has with us, and this is the covenant that is supposed to be reflected in the, the marriage. The Christian marriage is to reflect that type of covenant. And so if you understand that you are in a covenant, not a contract, that your covenant is to be like Christ's love for his church, that he'll never break, he will be faithful even when we are faithless, if that's the kind of mind frame or the, 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 the mind frame, the, the, the scope you have and the heart you have for your marriage, and you're like, I'm here, I, I will not get divorced, I'm going to stay, I, this is what I want, I want to, to love my spouse as Christ loved the church, I want to reflect God's uh, love and mercy and grace in the context of this marriage, that's what I want, then you will stay. You will understand that you're bound. And therefore, when things are hard, you will go, how do we work through this? Another way to think about it is like a garden. Marriage is like a, a, a garden. It really is. It really is like a garden. Uh, if you've ever tried to garden, uh, ever like, try to plant anything, uh, it's hard. It's difficult. There's days where it's really hot. You've been in Texas summer, right? It can be hot. Uh, there, sometimes there's no shade. You need to create shade for plants, for a garden. You need to create shade. If there's no water, you've got to water. You've got to figure out ways to make this garden, these plants, live. And if you don't put in the work, the toil, the effort, what happens? They die. We're really good, and my wife is getting a lot better. I'm really bad. She's getting a lot better. We've grown in our planting and gardening in our home. Uh, real plants. You know, and we're, we're, we're learning. They're, they're growing. It takes effort, though. 
And I'll tell you this, oftentimes when, when, when a, a marriage ends or divo- a, a divorce is happening, one or two, both spouses think that the grass will be greener on the other side. Man, I'll just get out of this one. I'll do it differently in the next one. Here's the reality. The grass is never greener on the other side. It's only and always greener where you water it, Period. Period. If you're, you feel that your marriage and your relationship is in like dry and weary and parched grant, land, well, you got to do some watering. If you feel like the soil is rough, there, there's weeds everywhere, you got to do some work. You got to cultivate. You got to get in to the trenches and do some work on your marriage. And I can tell you this, if you do that work, it will produce good fruit. It may take time, it may take energy, it may take effort, but one year, say, for example, if you spend one year working on your marriage in a way that you haven't done the past two years, you, you might find five years of fruitfulness that you never would have had if you don't start today. I'm telling you. It comes down to covenant or contract. Are you bound or are you out? Do you want to stay in the fight and see God's best for you, or you just want out? Covenant versus contract. Jesus says the only way you should break your covenant is if it has been broken uh, through sexual morality. He says it this way, uh, but it, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except, so there's this one exception clause, except on the grounds of sexual morality makes her commit adultery. Whoever divorces uh, a married woman commits, uh, or sorry, whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Same is true for man. If a man leaves his uh, uh, wife and, uh, or if a wife leaves her husband and, and he remarries, then that, that's unlawful divorce and that's uh, adultery, right? So only, only exemption is through sexual morality. That's what he's saying. You need to understand this. Uh, sexual morality means not just, um, it means adultery as well, like, uh, or the Greek word there is porneia. And if you've been here long enough at the well, you know what the Greek word porneia means. Uh, it means anything, any sexual activity outside the bounds of Scripture. And I, I have plenty of sermons that you can go back and listen to those. But, uh, but that is what he is talking about. Any type of sexual sin, but specifically, more particularly, he's probably likening uh, that the first thing that he's thinking about is adultery. Adultery breaks the, so in the act of adultery, that sexual morality, that there breaks the covenant of marriage. He said that's the only exception clause Jesus gives for someone to divorce their spouse. Now, he's not saying they have to. He's just saying that is a biblical grounds. That is an option. Now, we'll say this. In the Old Testament, adultery was punished by stoning. What was, what was, was the, like, that was it, by death. Old Testament, adultery was punishable by death. So you committed adultery with your spouse. You could and likely were, if found guilty, punished by death. Well, what do you do now? Well, there's totally freedom, and merit, free, freedom to remarry because your spouse is dead. That's what, that's what happens. And so I need you to see what Jesus is doing is he's, a, he's not saying, oh, he's not being lax. What he is simply saying is that, that adultery is punishable by death because you are killing your covenant. It's a serious issue. So the only grounds that a man should have or a woman should have to divorce their spouse is that of sexual morality, of that of, of adultery, or the word porneia, the junk drawer term for any sexual grievous sin outside the marriage covenant. So I need you to see this. Porn is breaking your marriage covenant. Flirting is breaking your marriage covenant. Giving anyone 
your, your body, your heart, your emotion, uh, sexually, physically, emotionally. These are porneia. This is immorality. This is uh, uh, committing this sin that he is saying that is breaking your covenant. Giving oneself in any way to someone who is not your spouse is breaking the covenant. Looking, Jesus says, at a woman or a man lustfully is adultery. So those who are not married, you are already violating your spouse, perhaps by the things you're looking at, the things you're thinking about, the things that you, the way you're you're maybe you're you're courting the current girl you're with, the guy you're with, and who's not going to be your spouse. You are doing things that you will later regret, affecting your future covenant. I need you to see it. That's how big deal it is, and I get it. Most of the world has has sinned in this way and find themselves falling short. There is mercy and grace for us, but the reality is you have to see it for what it is. This is a serious issue. And so, so first you know how big of a deal it is. Also, number two, you need to understand that just because maybe your spouse is uh, looking at porn or just because they have had an affair doesn't mean divorce is, is the exact thing you need to do. You might, it just may not be. Now, a spouse who won't quit, uh, a spouse who won't get help, a spouse who won't repent, uh, you can't, you, that, that is a totally different situation. And so divorce should be the absolute last option for the Christian. For Christian couples getting married, if you're, you're newly married or you're about to get married, you need to have this mindset, divorce should not even be an option. It should not even be an option. You should think, I'm going to die keeping this covenant. I'll be faithful even if they're not period. And immediately, we live in a world where they go, well, what if? What if you die keeping the covenant? That's the question I'm asking. You're asking questions, well, what if they do this? What if they do that? What if they do that? What if they do that? Well, what if you died keeping your covenant? You refused to, to divorce. You refused to, to not cultivate that garden. You refused to not pour in time, effort, and energy. What if you resolved to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, and strength? What if you resolved to love your, your, your husband or love your wife, even if they rebel against him? What if you decide, this is my new, just like Jesus will say to you, this is your new mission and ministry. That's what a marriage is, your, your first ministry. What if you'll put all your, your effort, your time, your energy into cultivating that so that it looks like Jesus and his church. What if you covenant and agree to that? And you say, if, they, if you have to kill me to stop me from doing that. That is a Christian. That is how a Christian should look at marriage. If Christians looked at marriage like that, there'd be far fewer opportunities and, and, and uh, events and circumstances where there is this sexual morality, this adultery. Far fewer. I see it that, that many Christians oftentimes, far too often, will go into a marriage just not considering that reality, that they're going to keep this covenant to the end. And likely, it's because you look at the world around you and like no one has kept it. We don't know any different. Same is true with the, the Corinthians. In their, their sexed-up pagan culture, uh, some of them came to faith and they were already married. Some of them came to faith and they were already had, they had multiple partners. Maybe there, there, there was already, we've already discussed in the church already, there's a dude sleeping with his dad's wife. And we hope that's not his mom. And if it's not his mom, it's his stepmom, which we know then that there was a divorce somewhere, right? Like they, they, they are living in this context. And so, 
But he's going to start addressing their question. So this question is, what if my spouse is not a Christian? So what do you do? Because the Corinthians, this could be because you two non-Christians get saved, or, or they get married, then they, one gets saved. So one, one spouse is a Christian, the other is not, and they're married. What do you do? Or this could be, uh, while you, you, you get married, both of you are Christians, and one leaves the faith. Or this could be, like perhaps in Corinth, a Christian dude married a non-Christian woman. We see that a lot in the Old Testament, and God does not desire that. That is not God's design, but it happens. That's where you find yourself in. What do you do? Should I get out? Should I, what, what do we do? What do we do if my spouse is not a Christian? He says this in verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, if, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. He should not divorce her. What he's saying is, Jesus hasn't spoken on this. Uh, this is a unique issue. He's not saying that, um, I'm saying this, God's not saying that, so uh, you should, uh, you don't have to regard what I'm saying. What, he, what he's saying he's, is simply the specific issue that we're speaking to hasn't been addressed because there's so many different examples that will come up in, in, in a day in life, just like our day-to-day. Many questions will be received. We must use biblical principles to answer the question. That's what he's saying. So he says that if, if, a, if a Christian man has a wife who is not a Christian and she consents to live with him, he should stay with her. He should not divorce her. Also the same is true if a woman who has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. What is this talking about? First and foremost, it says, if you are a non, if you, if your spouse, who is a non-Christian, agrees to live with you, stay married. Like, man, it's gonna be hard, Al. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what's also hard? life. It, it's, it's not, I promise you, it's not going to get easier, especially if you have kids. You're like, well, my husband's not a believer, and I am, and we have kids, and now we're going to divorce because he's not a believer, and it's just going to get easier. It's not going to get easier for anybody. It's getting more complex. He's saying stay with them. That's what he's saying. And so I, I will say this. This is a hard, massively difficult situation and circumstance. So you need to keep going to church. You need to continue to be a part of uh, a community. You need to continue to bear witness to your unbelieving spouse. If this is where you find yourself, where you have friends who you know may be in this situation, advice that you'd give them, stay together. Uh, It's massively difficult. It is a ministry and a mission field for the the Christian spouse who has the unbelieving spouse, and they're going to live together. They're going to stay together. I know people who they're now in their 80s and almost 90s that, that they've stayed together. And I've, I've talked to one of this, this woman, and she's like, I, and she said, I haven't divorced them because, because of this passage. I stay and I pray with them. I, I, I pray for them. And, and I look at their, I'm like, this is incredibly hard. And I'll tell you this, they're in their, their, their late 80s. Soon they will go, one will go see the Lord, and the other one won't. The, the pain, the suffering, the toil that that old lady has will, is soon about to be over. It will either be rejoicing in this life her husband comes to faith or it will be rejoicing in the life to come where she's she's united to her Savior by faith. 
It is difficult, but I promise you, while we might not have many examples that we've seen, there are those who will have an unbelieving spouse all the way to the end of their life because they truly believe God's word, and there's great reward for them in this life and the life to come, I promise. And so Paul says, hey, don't, don't divorce. Don't divorce if they're willing to live with you. And so that means being a witness to them. And this is where it gets difficult. I see a lot of Christians who, are, who are, uh, have an unbelieving spouse, and, and this becomes so difficult. And what ends up happening, they become so discouraged. They, they get away from Christian community. They don't find themselves seeking Jesus and his word regularly. And they're just going, this is just too hard. I just will stop doing it. I will stop pursuing Jesus. I will stop living according to his word, will, and ways. I will now start becoming bitter at my spouse. I will now make it difficult for them. And what they'll find is that in their heart of hearts, they don't care about covenant. They care about, they only, they're selfish. And so what they want to do is ruin their marriage. I see it. I've talked to people. They thought they can just make their husband so miserable, he'll go cheat. Now they'll be free. That's not Christian that is not a Christian way. What it is, is I'm going to be faithful to my spouse, even if they're not faithful. And, and you're like, that sounds like an awful life for them. It's not. It's not. It's because you take your view of what a great life is from the world, not from Jesus. Guess how many, you know, marriages Jesus was in? None. Not with humans. Not with, not with, not with a wife. He did not have a wife. I, he, you know what he also put up with? 12 dudes who, were, who left him, who were unfaithful to him. We just looked at Good Friday. His, his friend Judas betrayed him, sold him out to be murdered. I need you to, and who was the happiest man who ever lived on the face of the planet Earth? Jesus. I need you to understand, marriage does not make you happy. God does, wants you to be happy in your marriage and have flourishing in it. But I need you to see what makes one happy is their relationship to Jesus, meaning their joy doesn't ebb and flow based off their circumstance, but on their Savior, who walks with them through the storms and the hard times in life. So being a witness to your, un, to your unbelieving spouse, reflecting Jesus' word, will, and ways, having deep love for your spouse, you, you serve them, you're not bitter towards them. There's hope, there's love, there's not resentment. He says, when we do this, what we do, he says, they're made holy. What he means by that is they're, they're set apart. The non-Christian spouse and children in a family of a Christian, they're not saved by the believing uh, spouse, but, but just by association. But what he's saying is they come under the influence of the Christian in the home. See, if you are a Christian and your spouse is not a Christian, you have God, the Holy Spirit, living in you. They don't. God himself dwells in your home. So you have the power to reflect Jesus' word, will, and ways in your home. How much more with two Christians? That's why I don't understand. Two Christians divorcing doesn't make any sense because y'all both have God and the Holy Spirit living in you. Like, we can't overcome our problems. Well, I know. That's why he gave you himself. He can. And so when he says made holy, again, he's not saying that they, have, uh, that they are saved. What he's saying is that through the influence of the Christian spouse who has the Holy Spirit in the home, it is more likely that those who are non-Christians, the kids and the, and the spouse would be saved, meaning they would have their own faith. In a re, so in a real sense, in a real sense, not just language here, in a real sense, they are holy or the word is set apart. They are set apart because the Holy Spirit marks the house because the believer dwells there. The house with the believer has power that other houses don't have. 
They have anointing that the other houses don't have. They have God, the Holy Spirit there. In a real way, they're set apart from other non-Christian homes. So the positive spiritual, the positive moral, the positive Bible-believing influence the Christian has in the home outweighs the power of the, the, the evil in the non-Christian, in the unbelieving parent. And you just see this. It's hard. It is a war. It is a clash. But you got to see that God is in you and with you. So if, you, if your spouse is not a Christian and they consent to live with you, stay there. Bear witness to them. Share Jesus with them. Love them. Serve them. Model Christ-likeness to them. Now, next question. What if my unbelieving spouse wants a divorce or abandons me? That's a different situation. To that, he says this. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved, meaning they don't have to stay in that marriage. God has called you to peace. For how do you know... uh, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you'll save uh, your wife? So almost in all circumstances, right, uh, we, we've seen it clearly that Christians should not file for divorce. But there are some grounds, yes, uh, that, that we see. And so, so many people in our day, while they are trigger happy for divorce, we need to, again, be reminded that we are called to something different, covenant forever. But if the non-Christian spouse wants out, or they straight up leave or abandon the person, so sometimes this happens, it's not a Christian non-Christian leaves, like, oh, I don't want this marriage anymore. I'm just going to go. Like, I'm going to start a new family, do my own thing. Like, I'm going to just leave or just never come back, cut off communication. That happens. The, 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 the believing spouse is now freed, that, that, that they're free from that, that marriage. Now, I will say this. It's still painful. i got to see this. Imagine you were loving your spouse like Christ. You were, you were serving them. You wanted them to meet Jesus. And you're like, it's not ideal that we got married or, 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 or it's not ideal that we're both non-Christians and the kids are here. And you're, you're, you're just trying your hardest to love and serve them like Jesus. And they just up and leave. Man, that's hard. It's hard. You might have a, a, a biblical grounds for divorce, but it's hard. It will then affect the children. It is not ideal. I need you to hear this, that where the ideal is lacking, God's grace abounds. God's grace can abound towards you. Thank you for holding the line. Keep holding the line. But if the unbeliever leaves, then you are free, though it will be painful. And so this is why you need good churches. You need good pastors. You need good community. You need someone who will walk with you and not just tell you, hey, I'm sorry, but will also tell you, hey, stand firm, head up straight, be strong in the Lord, trust in the, the Father. He is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how we can proceed forward. You need both. We need both. Yes, it is awful. Yes, we are sorry. Yes, we, we want to care and want to encourage, but we want to encourage in the strength of Christ. We want you to see that the grace of God can abound even though this ideal has been broken. I need you to see that. So being a part of a, a, a community that can walk with you, it's going to be very helpful if you find yourself in this situation. So I'll say this to all the married people in our church. We love you. We want to help you. If you find yourself at a juncture in your marriage where you're like, this is so difficult, I need help, the answer is yes, come forward. Get help. We want to walk with you. We want to help you. We want to see reconciliation happen. We want to see holiness. We want to see new life. We want to see new marriages for the glory of God with the same spouse. It's possible. I've seen it. Some of your testimonies of that. It's true. And so if you're single, I need you to know this should not scare you for getting married. Some of you are like, well, my parents scared me, so this is scaring me even more. I need you to understand. 
need you to understand that if you do things Jesus' way, oftentimes your marriage will follow that. I'm not, not saying 100%. There's not like a 100%. If you follow Jesus' way perfect, you know, which we all fall short, if you follow Jesus' ways, it will lead to higher success, life, you know, hope in marriage. I will say this. Marriages have the, high, the, marriage, the marriages that have the highest divorce rates are among Christians are the ones who avoid Jesus' standards during dating, period. They're like, oh, we're not going to follow him now. But when we get married, we want to, you know, I don't I want to sleep with my girlfriend now, but, you know, when we get married, I hope she doesn't, we, she doesn't sleep with anyone else. I hope fornication is good now, but, you know, not later. What are you thinking? You're preparing yourself for divorce. That's what you're doing. When we, when we abandon God's word, will, and ways in dating and courtship, what we're doing is planning our divorce. We're sowing seeds for our divorce. And that is the culture you find yourself in. This is why the enemy hates you. He hates you. You'll see this. If you're single, I say this often, the enemy wants to get you in bed with, your, with, with someone, anyone, now. When you get married, guess what he wants to do? He wants to keep you out of bed. He wants to, keep, he wants to ruin the marriage bed in both ends. I need you to see, if you're so scared of marriage, I need, you need to be more scared about your relationships now with your boyfriend, girlfriend, significant other. That's what I'd be more afraid of. If you want to follow Jesus, hold the line, be obedient, have, uh, do things his way, then you shouldn't be scared. You should understand that, that sexual morality and sin do affect a relationship, and it's possible that your marriage will be difficult. But opt for Jesus' ways. We want to walk with you through that. I no longer have a countdown clock, so I have no clue how long I'm going. So just letting y'all know, we're going to keep going. Um, okay, what about divorce? Uh, what about if, you know, non-sexual things? So we know if a husband cheats on his wife, she's free to remarried. If, or she, sorry, she's free for divorce, but she doesn't have to. Same in the inverse if a husband uh, uh, or if the wife cheats on her husband, uh, he is free to divorce but doesn't have to. But, or if you are uh, married and uh, you have an unbelieving spouse and they leave you. So we have two realms. That we have two reasons, two ways that one can separate or end their, divorce, their marriage through divorce. And so uh, we have those two things. What about, the question is often asked and it should be asked, what about non-sexual sins such as violence or physical abuse? That happens a lot in our day. And so here, 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 we'll go back to verse 10. It says, if a married, if, if the married, uh, or to the married, I give this charge, I, not the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. So that's first and foremost, we shouldn't, but if, say, your safety is on the line, your husband is abusive, or uh, that there's some sort of physical violence going on, or if your husband and your, your, your wife's pulling a knife on you, gun on you, and like, there, there, there's a real situation. If this is true, uh, you should separate. That's what he's saying. He's saying if you do, if she does, or if he does, if they separate, like we want reconciliation, but he does give clause a reason for separation. There, there is a time where there can be separation. I'll say this. If you are in a situation where there's violence or physical abuse, especially life-threatening, don't call me first. Call the police. Guess, and I know you're like, that sounds obvious. Guess what the, first, the last thing to ever do in those situations is? That. That. Yes, get the elders involved. We want to help, but I need you to see it how often happens with, with, with women that she, especially if she's in an abusive relationship, it's the last thing for her to do oftentimes is get the police involved. 
I could give it you details of why, but I'm telling you, we can talk after. That is the first. If your life and their safety of you or your children, get out. Move away. We've actually helped people. We have. We've done this. Help people move out. All of our deacons came and men in the church moved a young lady out of her house. All of her stuff. We got new locks, put it on the door. We've had guys, we, we, we've done a lot to help, and we will do a lot to help. But I will tell you this, if this, is a, if, if this is an offense that keeps happening without a police report, there's not a lot that can be done long term. Now, separate. So, so we have been involved in helping couples separate, yes, when safety was at play. Abuse was real. And so now there's a lot of details of the situation in, in different circumstances, but, I, uh, but our hope is always, even in an abusive situation, so I hope you hear what I'm saying, even in any, any situation where there is separation, our first hope is that there would be reconciliation. Meaning this, that if it is a Christian who is abusing their spouse, male or female, abusing their spouse, we hope that they repent. They go, come back to Jesus. They stop. They laid down their, their violence and traded in for, for mercy. We pray for that. That's what we want. So until you can show that model that we're, we want you to be separated, don't be living with him. Don't be living with her. Get out. Get safe. And if they're a Christian, we treat them like a Christian. We discipline them like a Christian. We call them to God's word, will, and ways. We tell them to walk upright and follow him and obey him. And if not, there's going to be church discipline. That's what we do. That's what we do. And if they won't do it, then what ends up happening is option number two, that the separation, if they won't repent, it's often likely that they're not a Christian. And sadly, what ends up happening is they end up committing adultery. They end up leaving you completely. During the separation process, they give you biblical grounds for divorce. That typically is what happens. But, but what we don't do is immediately go, hey, I, I'm experiencing physical violence um, in the house. I, I, can I get a divorce? Well, we want y'all to separate and then we need to hear from both parties. Sometimes the reason why she pulled a knife on you was because you pulled a knife on her first. And it's like, okay, there's, there's, like, if you only hear one side of the story, we got to know. And this is why police reports, these are why things matter. Those things matter. But I will say, if this is a Christian being abusive with language, abusive with, with their, with physically, we love you and we want to walk with you. We don't want to beat you up, but we want you to, to, to be a safe person. Well, let God discipline you, but we want to put you in a place where you can be disciplined. And we want you to be safe. We want you to be repentant. It should grieve you men or you women that you would ever have any sort of violence towards your spouse. It should break you down. And if we don't see repentance like that, then I don't trust that moving back together would be helpful. So there is cause for separation in such cases that they may not be sexual sins, but violence or physical abuse. And then you may say, well, you just don't know. I don't care. There's never, ever, ever, ever a circumstance that you should be violent towards your spouse, period. Period. It's just the reality of it. It shouldn't happen among Christians. And so, sadly, it does, though. And so it's important for you to hear that we want you to seek safety immediately. And I will tell you this, oftentimes what ends up happening is that uh, the, 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 the violent spouse will, will then lord over the other you know, uh, uh, person in the marriage so that they feel threatened and they can't talk to someone. 
if I tell someone, then they're going to be more violent towards me. And if that's you, you should, and you find that out, that should grieve you. It's always a test. Like if I ever step into a situation like this and, 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 and the person who's the violent spouse and you step into it and you're like, hey, this is how they feel. And then you get more violent, man, you're, you are the epitome of the problem. If you hear that your spouse, your husband or your wife, feels like they can't even talk to you because of, they can't even share their feelings, they can't be one with you, they, they, they're just struggling because of your violent nature, it should grieve you. If it doesn't, then think about your daughter and her husband or, her, 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 or, or your son and his wife. How would that affect you? It should break you. He says this next, the root of all divorce that doesn't, so, so in such cases like that, uh, that's how we would proceed. Uh, the root of all divorce, here's this, is, is hardness of heart. I need you to see this. The root of all problems in marriage is hardness of heart. It's called sin. Our hearts, our hearts, are, hard, our hearts are hard towards God. Our hearts are hard towards His Word. Our hearts are hard towards His will, His ways. And then it manifests in how we treat our spouse, how we relate with our spouse. Uh, it, no one plans when they get married to divorce. That's no one's first option. They're not like, I planned for this. Uh, but this happens when our hearts grow cold towards our spouse. It happens when we, uh, we, we let sin rule and have dominion over us instead of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this way. He says to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. That's not God's design. Hard hearts, sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Now, what about remarriage? I'm going to be real quick on these. What about remarriage? Verse 39 through 40. It says, If a wife bound to her husband, or a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry. Uh, she's, she's free to be married who she wishes only in the Lord. Christians marrying Christians, that's what he's saying. And yet, my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have this, the, the Spirit of God. He's saying, if your, husband, if your spouse has died, you're free to, free to marry. You're free to marry. He's already talked about it. He's talking about widows, especially if you're burning with passion. Uh, that's two sermons ago. You can go back and look at that. That's, it's, it's a good option for you. But it's still a difficult thing. And we understand that God has said it's not good for man to be alone. So if you aren't able to stay alone and your spouse has died, then you are free to remarry. The question still is, now that we understand biblical grounds for divorce, does that mean there are biblical grounds for remarriage? That's the big question. We'll end our time answering. He says this, uh, or further questions. So these are questions from our culture about divorce and remarriage. Can I get remarried if my spouse cheated on me and we divorce? So we do know this, that that's lawful divorce, right? Cheating or, or sexual morality, adultery, lawful divorce. Now there's two camps here, two theological camps, two groups of, of people. There's, there's one camp that says, uh, no divorce, no remarriage. So you should never get divorced, never get remarried. If you get divorced, you should never remarry. Period, no matter what. That, there's one camp. And there, there's, there's, there's another camp that says biblical grounds for divorce equals or means biblical grounds for remarriage. That's option. That's the position that we teach. That's the option. That's the position that the elders and I hold. And so the answer to that question is yes. Can you get remarried if your if if your spouse has uh, committed sexual morality, adultery, or has and has left you, divorced you? Um, are you free to be remarried? Yes, but only in the Lord. Christian, only Christian. Um, now, some of you may have like, well, there's nuances to that. I know. Feel free to. Uh, 
have a conversation with me offline about it. Uh, next question, can I get remarried if my unbelieving spouse divorced me? It's the same as above, right? The non-Christian leaves the Christian. There's, there's biblical grounds for uh, divorce there. Um, and in doing so, if, you, if there's biblical grounds for divorce, there's biblical grounds for remarriage. Now, why do we say that? It's because we believe that the, 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 when a person has committed adultery and then left you, that they are dead to you. That is, that is like that of a widow. That is what we're saying. That's what we believe. And like I said, in the Old Testament, it would have happened. It was punishable by death. It would have happened. Third question. I, maybe you, I had a child and I'm not married. And that's, that could be for a variety of different reasons. It left it vague and open-ended in that way because a, a, there's a lot of that in our world. And so is marriage an option for me? I need you to know that that, that, that is a common question I get and we see a lot. I need you to see that th- this is a complex answer. And while I'm not going to give you a full answer to this because there's so many different ways to answer this, I'm, ask, I'm, I'm posing the question to us publicly so that you know these are the type of questions we do walk with people through. So if this is you or you know someone, you're like, man, I, my, 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 my friend is struggling with this, but I don't know who to talk to. I need you to know this is a question that we walk with people through. And so the, the answer is likely, yes. Uh, but, but there's questions like, you know, who's the father? Is the father still in the picture? Does he want to be in the picture? There's a lot of questions that may come from, a question, uh, that, that, from questions like this. But I will say this. So I want to be specific. If you're a Christian dude, a guy, and you get a girl pregnant, it is your biblical mandate to marry her, period. You don't, I got a verse for it. Exodus 22, 16. It's not going to be on the screen. Go look it up. It is your job or to pay her dad a bunch of money. If he says no, that's what you got to do. You're like, really? What if she's not a Christian? It's your, you got her pregnant. It's your responsibility. That child is your responsibility. See, marriage is not just about a man getting to, you know, enjoy his wife. It's about him being responsible for her. You're responsible for her children too. You're like, well, she's not a Christian. Well, now you're responsible. That's what makes it real difficult when you have a married man who gets another woman pregnant. It's just chaos. It's chaos. If, you're a man, if, you, if you are man enough to have sex with a woman, you're man enough to marry her. Do that first. Last question. I was married and divorced as a non-Christian. Is marriage an option for me? Again, this is, this is uh, questions that you might follow up with. Do you have kids? Did your ex remarry? Is, there possible, is it possible that y'all could get back together? Uh, I've seen crazy situations like this where Couples were married, had kids, got divorced, and they got remarried. It's been really cool to see some redemption that God has done, and it's possible. And so while situations can be difficult and complex, uh, I will say in many cases, perhaps not all, uh, that the answer to this question would be in many cases yes. But I need you to understand that these are the type of questions that we see often and hear in our current context and culture. And there's about 500 other questions that I could have asked in, in, in nuances of circumstances that real people are dealing with in the real world in this city right now. And I want you to see, if you're a guest with us, this is the type of church we are. We're not afraid of the complex, hard questions. We're not afraid of sin. We're not afraid of, of getting in the mud, but we're willing to do so and wade through it, but through the lens of Scripture. Through the lens of Scripture. So, the way we'll respond is this today. In light of all this, you're like, all right, now, I don't even know where I'm at. What, what do I need? To, what, is the, what am I walking home with? What is my takeaway? Hopefully, 
you've, you've, you've been equipped to answer some of these questions, navigate some circumstances yourself. But many of you might be feeling now, when it comes to marriage, you feel broken. You're so aware of your brokenness. You're so aware of your sin. You're so aware of your shortcomings. You're so, so aware that of maybe your, your first marriage, your previous marriage, that you dealt with things improperly. Your engagement, you've done things foolishly. In, your, in the beginning of your marriage, you did things that you regret. You're now five, ten years in, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm just, I don't know how to untangle this knot. You may find yourself in, in unique, difficult struggling circumstances. I need you to remember this, that if you were in Christ, Jesus has said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is the picture of the covenant of marriage. So if you are married, then that is your charge. Stay married in such a way and love your spouse in such a way that reflects Christ's covenant with you. That's your job. You're like, well, what if I feel like a, a guilty? What if I feel shame because of my sin? If I'm divorced or I'm remarried and I'm just unsure of how things work, I need you to first see stay married. But I need you to take your guilt and your shame and remember the gospel of Jesus, that there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in you. And that's true for everyone in here. And now I need you to also, if you find yourself in that position where you're like, man, I've done things wrong. I now recognize it. I'm remembering the mercy and grace of Jesus. What I need from you here and henceforth forevermore, you must and ought to are now responsible to be an advocate for God's word, will, and ways to your kids, your grandkids, and every single person you come into contact with who's dealing with the situations and sin. You have the landmines you've already driven over. Warn them about it. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is a man who has written to his son, telling him of all the wrong that he has done, all the sin he has done, all the folly he has done. The same man wrote the book of Proverbs that is a a letter to his sons to remind them, hey, these are the ways of the Lord. Don't follow my foolishness. Follow Jesus, his word, his will, his ways. Far too often, because of your sin, because of your shame, what will end up happening is you have kids, and then they'll grow up, and they'll be in similar situations you were in. You'll say, well, you know, we did this when we were dating. We slept around, or, or we, we lived together before we got married, or we did these things before we got married. And we, you, 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 because you're so ashamed of your sin, you just allow it to perpetuate and continue. Instead of going, no, I was wrong, and I, and I admit it, I own it, and Jesus has cleansed me and given me a new life, and I'm walking in the newness of life that Christ has given me, and I want everyone I know and love to continue to walk in the newness of life and break the chains of bondage that keeps being inherited from generation to generation of foolishness and folly because of sin. Would it end with you? Would you resolve that it would end with you? That you would, like Jesus, say, I will be faithful even when others are faithless. And to help us, empower us to that end, we're going to remember that today. We're going to think upon that today. We're going to look at the cross of Christ where Jesus demonstrated that type of love for you, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for you. So the invitation to us today, all of us today, no matter where you're at, is to come to Jesus. To come to Jesus in rejoicing in what he has put together in your marriage praising God if you're married, asking him for strength. Come to Jesus with your sin if you're full of shame. Come to Jesus if your marriage is on the rocks. Come to Jesus if you're single and you want to be married. Come to Jesus if you're struggling. Come to Jesus, all of us. That's our response, to come to Jesus. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for 
your word and speaking to the nuances and difficulties of our life circumstances. We've made a mess. Jesus, you're here cleaning it up. Would you continue to clean us up, continue to make us more like you, continue to help us, to continue to empower us, to continue to love you. And the questions we have about divorce, remarriage that are still in our hearts and minds, may we be able to talk about them and flesh them out in the context of community. And may we see this city transformed by the gospel, marriages transformed by the gospel. May we see from our church, just generation after generation and generation following us of a new way of life, the life of Christ that we have blood-bought and sealed through the redemption and resurrection of our God, great God and King, in whose name we pray.